Welcome to the show. Great to be with you today. Thanks for listening in. The podcasts are on the radio, KLFT Radio, Catholic Radio for Acadiana. Thanks, everyone. What's up, fellas? We got a full studio. Deacon Adam, Chad in studio today. Chad's actually in the producer seat today, Adam. Producer, producer Chad. Chad. Producer Chad. He's he's graduated to producer. Yes, we've made this transition where he's actually in the, uh, what do you call that seat in a submarine where the captain sits? Is it like the the oh. the, the, the conch or something like that? You have, have you ever heard of that? No. <laughs> I just made up that word. It's a good it's a good word. Look it up. Conch. Like anybody got the internet in life? I mean it's it's like the seat <laughs> that that the captain sits in in a submarine. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I, no I'll get to it. It just came to mind. But Chad's in that seat. And uh oh here's what we're doing today. We're actually celebrating the hundred and fiftieth episode of the show. Wow. Fifty. Yeah. So Adam, you it's and I have deal. been around for a long time doing this Apparently show. Apparently four years, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. So does that mean we're graduating? You know, four years, graduating high school, college? Yeah. And we're trying to consider if we're gonna go to school or enter the <laughs> workplace. <laughs> like keep this thing going or get to work, you know, I don't know. You know, I I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate 150th episode than a hurricane this past week. Mm-hmm. You know? Wow, yeah, in the Greek alphabet, you know, really somewhat Catholic of us. Yeah. It was kind of the 150th hurricane of the year. <laughs> it felt like the 150th hurricane, particularly this has been a, obviously a crazy year for everyone. If you live in South Louisiana, you've not only had a pandemic, but you've also had hurricanes. It's been like, like six, seven, something like that. Yeah, and, you know, for us, you know, it it was you know we're we're personally probably going to need a new roof. I know Adam, you lost power. We lost power. You know all, but you know we're we're alive and we're going to celebrate 150th episode by being grateful to <laughs> just that we're alive today. That I am grateful. We get to do another show, right? Thank you, Laura, that we're all here together. So thanks, everyone, for being a part of the show over these past years. If you're new to the show, listen on the podcast or on the radio. Uh, to all of our sponsors, 150 shows. Here we go. All right, Chad, do you have a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Are you for real, though? Uh, for real, though. You are for real? Yeah. So I think, well, I think news of the week probably is the hearings for Amy Coney Barrett, justice, justice, judge, honorable. Honorable. Honorable Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah. Which has been interesting. I don't know if you followed it all, but... Um, She's up for pretty, the Sur- Supreme Court nomination. Yeah, heck of a woman, right? I mean, you've seen her family and her, her accolades. But I do have a, a pretty positive have you seen. And we you've heard of Shark Week, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, one of my first, you know, stints of Shark Week was um, this... this College student wanted to throw a party for Shark Week, and I got in trouble for allowing it to happen. Uh, why? Because, anyway, it's a long story, but that's how I found out about Shark Week. I got in trouble for allowing Shark Week to happen. She threw, like, a shark party with a shark cake and stuff like that. Anyway. Sounds well, that's like a, a lot of fun. That's offensive to marine animals. I didn't get in trouble for the party. I got in trouble for allowing it to happen in, in the church building without telling, like, the secretary that uh, it was happening. You know that? Oh, yeah, you, you didn't know schedule that thing? it. Yeah. You didn't put it on the calendar, Paul. You didn't Paul. put it on the calendar, Paul. It's so irresponsible. <laughs> You're not organized at all, What if Paul? we wanted to have an octopus party at the same time? We would have no idea. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh yeah. man. Anyway, so last week, <laughs> last week, week before, something like that was Fat Bear Week. Fat Bear. Yeah. Not fat are you Bear serious? Week. Yes. Yeah. So uh, if you want a, a little positivity in your life, a little joy, if you go to explore.org/meetthebears, they had a they had a poll. It's already done, but it shows all the bears like uh, it shows their before and after pictures because they're getting ready for hibernation. You know. So like. <laughs> 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 like the same so, exact bears? Same exact bear. You see them in the summer. They look like they're like 500 pounds, 600 pounds, which is big, big bears. Mm. But then you see them as they're balking up, like in September, October. <laughs> and so they huge. get fat on purpose before they hibernate. Right, right. And so their bellies are like dragging on the ground. It's real. It's, it's I pleasant. wonder if there's a time to like fight a bear that you're more, you know, apt to win. You know, is it, you know, when they're big and fat, they can't move. Yeah, yeah you just kind of touch them on their back because they can't reach behind you. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty intimidating. I mean, you look at pictures of them. I've looked at the pictures. Wouldn't it be funny if, like, we hibernated, like, humans? (laughs) It's like every Sunday. We would just get get really big and fat and then climb in a hole for for how long? Well, I think that's what they do up north, you know, as they approach the winter. Mm. Humans humans do put on pounds in the winter. It's it's the thing. During When I wrestled in high school, we used to get an extra pound allowance during the wintertime, like after Christmas. Because the body naturally puts on some extra weight. Yeah, and you're not as active in the winter. You know, you're, right. you're inside more, so that you're eating more. It's sort of like the quarantine pounds winter that food. everybody got was because you're kind of stuck inside, mm-hmm. not as active. That's why, you know, I bought an exercise bike during quarantine. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go nuts. Yeah. Uh, for you. Mm-hmm. Did you go nuts? Um, I ate a lot of like nuts. You know, <laughs> I did put on some pounds and then I lost them because I was like, I'm getting fat in the summer. You can't do this. No, you know? no, yeah. Um, it's all that turkey and pecan pie in the winter, you know what I mean? But there are and some gumbos. great things about the fall. You know, I was actually reading the statistic this week, because I'm a statistic kind of guy, is that 60% of people say they're m- most happy in the fall. Mm. Like they're more happy in the fall than, than, you know, weather changes, you're outside, you know, it's before winter. You know, in some places in the country, fall is actually a thing. For us, we go from green to brown. Yeah. And not much color in between. That's true. I think fall also has such promise to it. Mm -hmm. American promise of Halloween, (laughs) Thanksgiving, Christmas. Boom. Like whether you're a person of faith or not, it's like you know these things are going to happen. So you get some pleasant weather, and then you know you're going to get candy and turkey and hot chocolate and eggnog, you know? It has a lot of promise. Spring has the Easter promise. I don't think it means as much to America as the Christmas promise does, but it means more to us as Catholics, right? Mm-hmm. But even still, I mean, the um, the promise of the fall. So it's just are, pregnant are you, with promise. If you had to pick between fall or spring, you know, like the perfect fall weather and season or the and the perfect spring weather and season, what would you pick? Well, if the fall had Easter, I would definitely pick the fall. No, you can't do that. I know, I know. This is what I'm saying. But I think the fall... You can't rewrite so time, So if you can combine Chad, fall and spring <laughs> and then mix it together... We'll call it sprawl. I still think I would choose... spring. I would choose the fall. <laughs> the gumbo... Getting gumbo ready is exciting, man. Yeah. Culturally, I would say the fall has the leg right. for sure. Like, there's crawfish season in the spring, but... Football in the fall. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, it's hard to beat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I gotcha. get it. Yeah. You know, I was actually reading uh, that there is... They're making these electric cars that you can... Power them from spinach. <laughs> Where did this come from? <laughs> now think about that. I did, I did see the same article. You saw the same yeah, article? Because in the fall is when you grow like 
cabbage and spinach is when it grows, mm-hmm. you know? What about spinach? But like, why well, not if you can romaine power lettuce. a car from spinach, <laughs> romaine lettuce is definitely lower on the totem pole than spinach. I'm well, not... like, as far as the ability to power a car. Okay. What about spinach <laughs> is unique enough to say that's the one? Imagine I don't know. The iron what spinach content, does maybe? to your body if it yeah. can power a car, you know? So That's it, amazing. Superfood and super fuel. Yeah, it kind of scares me, actually. Speaking of uh, super food and super fuel, we got some pretty powerful saints uh, this week. I don't yeah. know if you guys have looked up, but uh, it's exciting. We got actually St. Luke, the gospel writer and the writer of Acts, and check Mike 1 2, St. <laughs> Ignatius of Antioch. Mm-hmm. Two, two pretty big, you know, guys, you know? Yeah, not physically big, but spiritually. <laughs> well, I mean, we, that we know of. Yeah. They probably weren't huge, you know, huge men. Well, St. Luke was a physician, a doctor, and I don't see many fat doctors anymore. They're usually health nuts these days. I don't know if y'all right. noticed that, but like they've got a great tan and uh, <laughs> looks like they've been on the, the cycle a lot, They're which is great. Feet good for lot, them. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Good for them. So I like, bet St. Luke was like that. Yeah. Doctors are kind of, you know, those folks that uh, they don't just sit down like they're constantly moving and going, you know, um, but you know, so St. Ignatius of Antioch was a pretty big deal, different than St. Ignatius of Loyola. Okay, so those are two different people. Mm-hmm. Antioch was like in the year like 100. Like this guy goes all the way back to the first century. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knew people who knew people who knew Jesus. You know, like th- this was like really close. And the cool thing about him is that he, um, you know, he, he his writings were to uh, keep folks connected to the truth of the gospel, so to keep heresy from happening. And we've seen that all throughout the centuries, right? There's been sort of a a dilution of the gospel, a dilution of church teaching, and there's been these big wig saints who have said, no way, you know, and they would write specifically to those people, to the heretics, to say, no, this is the truth of the gospel, right? This is what we see with the church now, the magisterium, like it keeps it focused on you know, the truth of the church and the church teaching. Antioch was one of those first bigwigs to write, you know, against heresies that were popping up about Christianity. And they would happen even in, in the New Testament. You read about Paul in churches he founded writing back to say, don't follow heresy, like don't follow strange teaching. Because there is this idea that the, the apostolic witness, people who knew Jesus, who saw his resurrection, who were sent to preach— then found churches that did not see Jesus, that did not hear Jesus preach, that were not sent to preach the gospel, right? And so our connection to Christ now comes through the mediation of the apostolic office of bishops like St. Ignatius of Antioch. And this is what is so important to understand about apostolic succession. It's not just a charism of the Holy Spirit, which is there. The church inspires people to be ordained, and especially the Pope and the College of Bishops, he gives them special protection, but it's also just humanly speaking, an actual human connection to Jesus Christ. Like St. Ignatius of Antioch was connected to people who are connected to Jesus. And that's important on a human level because the teaching of Christ needs to be preserved and defended, especially when it's taught to the Gentiles, to those who are not familiar with even Jewish law, right? St. Paul, this past week we've been going through a letter of Galatians. He fusses at the Galatians. You stupid Galatians, right? Because <laughs> they're, they're Greeks, non-Jews, who received the gospel from him, 
But then in hearing about all of it, right? Because the main scriptures they had was the Old Testament. So when they hear the whole package, they're like, oh, well, we need to be circumcised. Oh, well, we need to abstain from food. He's like, no, you're, you're not getting it. Christ came to set us free. Don't go back to slavery. Don't go backwards. And so that role of that person who says, no, actually the truth is this, is so important. And St. Ignatius of Antioch, especially in the early church, defending the Eucharist, um, comparing himself, his own martyrdom to the Eucharist. Like he, he understood the sacraments and the life of the church and was able to defend and hand it on. Yeah, in the year 107, Emperor Trajan visited Antioch, which is where obviously Ignatius was from, hence the name, Ignatius ah. of Antioch. Forced Christians there to choose between death and apostasy. Ignatius would not deny Christ and thus was condemned to be put to death. He wrote seven letters on his trip from Antioch to Rome about heresy and keeping, you know, the teachings of the church. Um, and so five of these letters were uh, to the churches of Asia Minor, and then um, and then he sent others to Smyrna uh, and whatnot. Here's the thing. It says uh, uh, he, um, he asked people not to stop his martyrdom. Like he says this, the only thing I ask of you is to allow me to offer the libation of my blood to God. <laughs> I am the weed of the Lord. May I be ground may I be ground by the teeth of the beast to become the immaculate bread of Christ, which is the Eucharistic sort of um connection that you were talking mm-hmm. about, Adam. Mm-hmm. Um and so he died in uh the Circus Maximus and he was um eaten by lions. How about that death? <laughs> mm-hmm. Man, I think this is something that's uh, I think about often. Like, do maybe sometimes Christianity doesn't seem manly because we're not willing to die for it in the same way that like the, these martyrs are. You know what I mean? Like, he. I think maybe I'm maybe it's just me, but there's something about the idea of like going to war or like going and defending something that's beautiful and good and true that's attractive. You know, yeah. like St. Ignatius was willing to do. He's like, yeah, let me die for this. Well, you know. What an honor. Yeah, the emperor came to him and said, you know, I'm sentencing you to death. And he just accepted his martyrdom, you mm-hmm. know, uh, for Christ. Yeah, I mean, you look back on that and be like, oh, that was a different time and season. It's like, no, like there, there is always going to be an attack on, on the church and on truth and on Christianity because it is, you know, it is of God, and it is of against the sin of the world. And sin gets so angry at the truth, right? That so much so that it would it wants to silence it, mm-hmm. you know. And this is what was happening with Antioch. You know, they they wanted to silence him, put him to death, and that was the way that they did it. You know, heresies. You know, we think back. Oh, heresies were way back then. We have heresy today. Oh yeah. I mean, we have dilution of truth all throughout. I mean. There are actually churches in our country and around the world that call themselves Catholic who are ordaining women who, uh, you know, are doing their own like, you know, Eucharistic, you know, you know, things like and, <laughs> and you know, it is of the apostles, the bishops, the magisterium to speak out against those things. And if you pay attention, those things are happening and being spoken out against. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And remember, the magisterium is an office. It's an office you occupy. It means the teaching office of the church, right? And just like every office, you can nail it, you can really do it well, or you could be terrible at it, right? right? Like you could actually perform your duties to the utmost and God will help you in every office we have in the church, or you can not. And uh, what I love about Ignatius and all these martyr bishops is that they're bishops. 
he took his office seriously. He took his Christianity seriously, but he took his office seriously of defending the truth to the end and giving witness by his own blood to the truth of Jesus Christ. And I think all of us, whatever office we might occupy in the church, can look to him as an example of, of the importance of the offices we were given. And the, mag- the role of the magisterium is not automatic, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like it's there, God will preserve the, the teaching of the church, but it's something we fulfill, right. something we do as a church, um, from bishops down to, to even catechists. They're part of that teaching office in the church, not just hierarchy, right? Well, catechists are te- technically part of the hierarchy because they're officers. But my point is the teaching office of the church that we all help to do, we can do well with bravery and, and follow the example of Ignatius of Antioch, or we can fail at Yep, and it's human, you know, in a sense that as you talk about stepping into that office is as a human, someone who is part of the magisterium can, can de- cannot step fully into that office, cannot, can deny Christ, cannot be passionate about their faith, could, you know, deny martyrdom and, and walk away from it, you know, but Ignatius didn't do that, you know, and, you know, we live in a world that needs bold witnesses of Christ, um, to, to stand up and stand firm and, you know, Ignatius is that. So we pray for the intercession of Ignatius, particularly over our bishops and our leadership around the world. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in, whether you're listening on the podcast or on the radio. Um, we are celebrating 150 shows. I can't believe 150 shows, Adam. I can't believe you're it. You're getting old. You're much grayer 150 shows later. Much more hair on my face. Yep. You got a big beard. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so thanks to KLFT Radio here for producing those shows, 150 shows. You look the exact same, I must say. Really? I have a little bit more gray. I'd agree. I don't but, know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, there's going to be a point where I'm not going to look the same as I used to. Right? Maybe. So I think it's just because you're getting older. You're like, oh, you look old too. So it's fine. It's great. It's been, it's oh, I been, I, if you would have told me that, you know, we would have done 150 shows when we started this, I would have said, ah, you're crazy. You know, but, um, you know, it just goes to show you that we don't have much to do in our, with our life. So. <laughs> we have. <laughs> Somehow found free time. Yeah, it's been cr- quite the, uh, you know, crazy time. It's eight months and then, you know, we're hitting with these hurricanes. And, you know, continue to pray for us down here because there's a lot of places that are still without power or, you know, obviously their their homes got destroyed or again and whatever the case may be. And, you know, I found myself complaining about little things, you know, like power outage, no AC, you know no refrigerator, and it just reminded me that I tried to remind myself that there there are millions and millions of people around the world that that live without electricity every day, 
with the thought of it not ever coming on. It's not like it went out and they're like, oh, they just live without it, period, you know? And, um, you know, it's like we have so much to be grateful for here in this country. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times we complain way too much. At least I do. <laughs> yeah, we're not alone. You know, you're talking about Antioch who faced death. You know, you, you still have people who around the world who die for their faith, have people around the world who suffer greatly, who live without power or clean water or, you know, a house, and they wake up every day and they do God's will and, and they live their life. And, you know, I complain, you know, when, you know, my I don't have AC and, you know, it's just inconvenient and I have to have a flashlight, you know, to see. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, super inconvenient, but we're so grateful for all the things that we do have, you know, mm-hmm. it's been crazy. Now, I know your like whole electric box got pulled off your house, which is quite the story. Yeah, could have been worse, but the um, tree that fell hit the electric line from the street. The power line ripped the breaker box off the wall. And so our area got power back Sunday night and then we got power back Tuesday. Nice. And, uh, Grateful for that, for our ele- <laughs> our electrician, Robert, if you're listening. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Yeah, Robert's the man, dude. It was a busy time. But it, it was interesting to not have power. Uh, There's a certain stress about it, but also a certain peace about it. I don't know, just the simplicity of, uh, of life. Because we had to all be in one room where the generator was. And I don't know, it was nice. That's kind of how our marriage started. We, we lived in the like a little one-bedroom apartment that my parents owned when we first got married, 600 square feet. And uh, there weren't rooms, there were just nooks. Like there's a kitchen nook and a <laughs> living nook, you know. And there's a certain simplicity about that. And I didn't need much money to live, you know. I didn't have to work as much. And so it's kind of like that. I remember going on retreat recently. The The monks, they used flashlights early in the morning to pray. Like they didn't just turn the lights on. They kept it dark. Wow. And they literally use flashlights to pray. And I was like, why are they doing that? But I think I get it now. Yeah. You know, if the monks, maybe they could use spinach to power their lights. <laughs> this this could be something. Although, you know, what does the world look like if we're relying on spinach energy? You know, or, or Iowa switches from corn to spinach. I don't know. Like, how does this, how do we feel? Do you ever eat spinach and you feel like like you got, like, energy? Like, I don't know. That, my wife in my smoothies, yeah. yeah. Really? Like spinach smoothies? It's high in iron, apparently. So if you if you throw it down, maybe it's the iron that powers the car. I don't know. Yeah, no I, I have no idea. No clue. Yeah, no clue. Well, I think we need to get rid of our dollar bills and start investing in spinach. Let's do that. Yeah. So speaking of Ignatius, you know, we also this Sunday uh, celebrate St. <laughs> Luke, who wrote, you know, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. These are both, you know, disciples of Jesus um, and apostles. You know, part of the magisterium, mm-hmm. uh, per se. You know, and the gospel reading this week, um, you know, comes from one that, you know, we're familiar with, we've heard many times. It says, the Pharisees went off and plotted on how to entrap Jesus in a speech. You know, this is kind of the thing that they did, right? Um, they sent their disciples to him, saying, Teacher, we know that uh, you are a faithful man and that you teach the way God in accordance with the truth. And you are not concerned with anyone's opinion. I like how they say that. For you do not regard a person's status. So, so they say this, you are not concerned with anyone's opinion. And then they go, 
tell us, what is your opinion? <laughs> so here's the question. Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Okay, so this is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 15 through 21, all right? Uh, we've heard this, right, um, before. Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Now, Jesus doesn't bring this up. They come to him and bring it up. So Jesus wasn't like, you know, wasn't like, the, you know, the parables on the mount or, you know, he, he wasn't teaching and said, hey, I, I need to bring. They bring this to him trying to entrap him. And he says, uh, knowing their malice, Jesus said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. So they showed him the coin. They handed him the, the Roman coin and he said to them, whose image is this with whose inscription? Right. They replied, Caesar's. And at that, he said to them, then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. Period. End of discussion. That's the gospel for this Sunday. And it ends there because that line is very powerful, right? And it, it actually says a lot in that line, you know. So when you talk about, you know, should we obey the law? Uh, what does Jesus say? A lot of times we'll go to the scripture. Jesus says, you know, pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God, right? Why should I follow the speed limit? You know, why shouldn't I underage drink? You know, why, you know, you... you you kind of come to this point where Jesus is acknowledging that is there's civil law that's happening, right? There are laws that are in place that are for good. There's taxes that we should pay, yada, yada. And Jesus is acknowledging that there's a certain human law that we follow, right? You guys follow me here? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so he just sets the tone <laughs> there. He lays the foundation. And they're like, okay, well, that, that makes sense. But then he says, but then, you know, pay to God what belongs to God. Now, what belongs to God? Everything. Mm -hmm. You know, so he doesn't say everything belongs to Caesar. He says, pay to God what belongs to God. Everything belongs to God, meaning that what we owe to God supersedes what we owe naturally to, you know, just the law. We obey the law, but what supersedes everything is the moral law, the following of God, like giving our life to God, right? Even if, even if um, there's conflict of interest there. Makes sense. Yeah, and I think another part of Scripture helps shed some light on this. If you remember when our Lord in the Gospel of John is before Pilate at his trial, and he's silent, and Pilate says, Why do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power over you to have you crucified or to set you free? And our Lord says, You would have no authority over me if it was not given to you from above. And I think that's important to keep in context in this conversation because in giving to God what is God, you're right. Like everything is God's. We owe everything to God. But God has ordained certain authorities. He has placed certain authorities over us, even Pilate's authority over Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, You have no authority over me. He says, You would not have it unless the Father gave it to you. So Pilate had authority over the Son of God legitimately because by God's providence, and his ordaining of human history, he does place human authority over us, civil authority. That's part of his plan for us. Mm -hmm. And Jesus went before Pilate respecting that plan. And so we go before our president or our kings or our, you know, whatever civil authority is over us, we go before them as part of God's plan for us. And when we give to them what belongs to them, we are giving to God what belongs to God. 
um, because that is part of his plan for us. Right. Like you get a ticket, you pay the fine, you pay your taxes. This is all legal. We should obey the law, right? And we should be good citizens. That's part of, you know, what we should do. And I think you bring up a great point, Adam, is this, is you read all throughout the gospels that they tried to entrap Jesus or catch Jesus and he would disappear, right? Mm -hmm. He could have disappeared. He could have not handed himself over. He could have not gone before Pilate. He could have not do, done those things, and but he did. And there was a certain chain of command that he went through that he followed uh, up until the highest point of, you know, the one who condemned him and said, you know, um, you know, do what you want with him. And they crucified him, right? But Jesus could have bypassed all that, you know, but he didn't. And he, he obeyed that law. And so when he says, pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, in a sense that we do have civil law that we, we follow, but when it comes to the moral law, when it comes to our conscience, when it comes to what's right, what's good, what's holy, um, it's it's God who we look to. You know, God's the one who forms our conscience. He's the one who um, that we follow. You know, so you know, there's all this debate on like you know because the election's coming up. You know, like do we have a moral obligation to vote or not? Like it's not a sin not to vote. Like I haven't heard that, but you know, civilly, like it's responsible to vote, right? Like, because we have the ability to, to vote and the freedom to that. And, you know, and that's a good thing. Right. Um, but then it comes to, well, then who do we vote for? And so, you know, like, who do we choose? That's where what guides us is our faith. It's looking to God, our moral, uh, compass should guide, you know, who we vote for, who we, you know, choose or, or what issues we vote on per se, you know? Um, and it's, it gets complicated. And this is why you go back to the magisterium, right? The, the teaching body of the church, they put out a lot of things on sort of the moral guides of voting. Right. And, and what as a Catholic, as a Christian are really important for us to follow in doing that. So corporately, the bishops have done that, and then individually, certain bishops are taking upon themselves to come out um, as fulfilling their office of teaching to guide Catholics in certain specific issues and even candidates, which is kind of unprecedented in our time. I mean, it's happened before, but the number of bishops and priests who are speaking to candidates um, or political parties is more than I can ever remember. Mm -hmm. um, but it... it when we give to Caesar what is Caesar's when we vote, we are fulfilling an office. We're talking about offices earlier. We Every American over the age of 18 has an office of voter, like we are voters. Mm -hmm. And we can either fulfill that office well or not. And I think we will be held <clears throat> liable just like all those. You know, it's fun as lay Catholics to point to leadership in the church and call them cowards or they're not doing enough. You know, you're not speaking out enough against this or against that or whatever, it's always easier to look at other people's faults and failings. But as American voters, we have a lot of power and our office is important. And uh, as Catholic voters in particular, I think we will be held accountable. I mean, I know we'll be held accountable for every vote we cast and how, how we came to that conclusion as well and how much we knew about the candidate we were voting for. The, um, there was an interesting uh, Bishop Provo of Lake Charles, our neighbor to the west. Mm -hmm. He just issued a great letter, I think, and he put it on Facebook. 
and I encourage people to go find it. It's on the Diocese of Lake Charles's Facebook page. But he brings up that idea is that the Lord will hold us accountable to every vote we cast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, that's interesting. And there's nothing more important than life, is what, he, what he's saying. The issue of life is the preeminent issue, and the bishops have been clear on that. And when a candidate, and he even says this, when a candidate promotes himself as a champion against life, you know, as, as someone who's going to fight for uh, abortion, who's going to fight for euthanasia, who's going to fight for these these fundamental attacks on human life, we cannot vote for that person. There, mm. The USCCB, the Conference of Catholic Bishops, has a document called Forming Consciences, so we're not making this up, for faithful citizenship to political responsibility, right? So if you want to get that, you can read it. Um, but there are a lot of teachings of the church that people don't follow or that we don't know about. You know, so um, statistically, they say about 3 to 4% of Catholics practice NFP, right? This isn't a civil law. This is a, this is a church teaching, right? Mm-hmm. This is a, a moral responsibility. But there is a large percentage of people who don't practice natural family planning in their marriage because they don't even know about it, mm-hmm. Right. So, so they're uninformed. Their conscience is on, uninformed about the church's teaching on sexuality, on birth control, um, and, and, and thus they're just operating based on what they know, right? Um, so it, it's our job, in a sense, as evangelists, as catechists, to echo the word down, echo the truth, echo the teachings of the church so people can live more in freedom because the more that we know the more our consciences are formed the more that we actually live in freedom right we don't have to wrestle with the truth what's right or wrong we just know the holy spirit there forms our conscience through through the eyes of the church through the teachings of jesus you know and so we celebrate commemorate saint luke who wrote the gospel of luke in the book of acts like these these teachings have been handed down for obviously centuries um, the teachings of Christ, and they've they've held tri- tight and close to the church. And there's been over the course of these centuries, people have tried to break that apart. They've tried to dilute it. They tried to, you know, um, be heretical about it. And yet, you know, you think about like in, in all the scandal over the two thousand years, the the teaching body of the church like has kept the teachings of the church together. That is so impressive to me. I think it's because it, I mean, it rises above political movements or social movements or cultural movements, you know, like it's a eternal movement, I suppose, like something that, I mean, it rises above political parties. I read in a Pew Research poll that there's a large percentage of Catholics uh, identify more with their political party than they do with the church, which is really uh, sad, kind of, you know, it's just kind of depressing. And and then going back to this to, comes and goes to the gospel reading of pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. So what does Jesus tell us about following God? Give God everything, right? Like like sell your sell your house, like sell your land, uh, take up your cross, uh, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. He never says in the gospel you know, love a political party more than God. He never says that. Or right? even give to political parties what is owed to political parties because there is a difference between legitimate civil authority and particular political groups. So in other words, and, and just full disclosure, I'm a registered independent, but I'm not here to give my own opinion about anything. But like <laughs> I don't belong to parties, 
to, to any party, but a lot of folks do. There's nothing wrong with belonging to a political no, party. absolutely and not. Because the whole point of them is to, to, as a group, accomplish more than you can as an, an individual. Mm-hmm. But in America, we have such blurred lines. We've got to remember there's a difference between political parties and people who hold office. Because when someone holds an office over me, whether I agree, I'm part of their party or not, or I agree with them or not, they have legitimate authority. Now, not everything they're going to do is legitimate because they can't abuse that authority. But those who are in power over us legitimately are different than those parties or groups uh, that are part of our political life, you know? Yeah, and there's a, there's a hierarchy, and I think you were getting at that, uh, at, at that, Chad, is, uh, you know, to, we identify first and foremost with who we are in God's eyes as a, as a follower of God, as a Christian, before anything else, mm-hmm. right? Like our political party isn't our identity. You know, so Adam, like, you're... You are a follower of Jesus, a son of God, right? You are a husband, father, you're a deacon, you know, and all these things. Oh, and you, you're you a registered independent. And, and then all those things above that are going to form the way that you vote, right? Mm. But but it's way down here. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm registered this, oh, and then I go to church on Sundays, right? Mm-hmm. I think for us as Catholic, it, at the forefront of everything should be our relationship with God. That, that should be the apex of it all, right? To love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, right? To give him every, and he should, that relationship should drive everything, you know? And then our vocation, you know, as whatever our vocation is, and then our role as, you know, spouses and, you know, parents or whatever, and, and that all that, I'm following Jesus. And then for us living in America, we get to vote right? All that above that following God should form our conscience in how we vote. Not so much like who we vote for, but what we vote for, right? Should drive that. Those, those moral issues that are so connected with the gospel that we vote, you know, uh, because our, our consciences are formed based on that. And I think the recent hearings with Judge Amy Coney Barrett kind of highlight the confusion that American Catholics have about this question and Americans in general, because we see everything in political party view, like you're a Democrat, Republican, whatever. And we see the faith as like that, like, oh, you're a Catholic, you're part of that group, therefore you're going to vote certain ways. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, you're Republican, you're part of that group, therefore you're going to vote certain ways, etc. And so it's it's this idea that because we're Catholic, we're going to vote the way the Pope tells us or the bishop tells us or the catechism tells us. That's not actually how this thing works. The way it works is... As a citizen, I exercise my office of voting for what my responsibility is, is I, I vote for someone that I am convicted will bring about a greater common good for all, will benefit the common good of mm-hmm. all. My Catholic faith informs what I see the common good to be. Right. See what I'm saying? So the common good is every dignity of every human person is respected. That's a Catholic idea, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's a uniquely Catholic idea. Who is every human being? Conception to death, Catholic idea. Um what dignity looks like. That's what the Western world sees as human, you know, human decency is even a Catholic idea. So anyway, my point being is that what we do is we form ourselves with this Catholic view of reality. And then that informs our view of the common good that we take into the voters booth or on the judge's bench or whatever. So like judge Amy Coney Barrett does not go into the cases if she's a good judge. And we've forgotten what judges do even like judges don't Mm -hmm. make laws. They go to interpret and apply law that's already there, but she can take her faith into 
onto the bench and say, all right, I have this view of what the common good is for everyone, but my job is to interpret the law, right? To not change it. So she's going to do her job as a Catholic, but that doesn't mean the Pope's going to call her and say, I want this decision or that decision, or you know what I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. as Catholics, I think uh, if we took more time to form our conscience about issues, you would see a more uniform vote, but it would never be completely uniform because we're going to disagree on things. And because God's perfect, but our political system is always going to be imperfect Mm -hmm. because we're human. So we can never expect our political system to be perfect because it's it's not. We're human. We're not God, right? God's always imperfect, in, you know. And you know, here's the here's the other thing is that as Catholics, our conscience also forms us to love people who think different than us, mm-hmm. who act different, vote different, and at times we don't agree with. Our Catholic faith calls us to love those people, right, who are different than us, who don't see eye to eye with us, who don't respect our opinions, who don't see the Catholic faith as something that's good, or people who don't respect life or even know the teachings of the church. Like the gospel calls us to love those people and love them through the eyes of Christ, you know, and, you know, we can, here's the thing that bothers me so much about social media is that there's all this infighting, but here's the reality is that you can love someone and disagree with them. Okay. And still like enjoy their presence and delight in who they are. Absolutely. And, and like them. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I have friends who aren't practicing their faith. I have friends who have different views than me, mm-hmm. uh, um, based on their experience in life. And, you know, they have a different formation and I love them and I w- will love them. And we can see differently and respect each other and love each other. And I think that's important because if true Christians led the way in loving unconditionally like that, I think we would probably win over more people to Christianity by by the fact that we, we love so radically even those who are different. Because Jesus talks about this. What good is it that you, you love people who love you, Right. How about love your enemies? That's what's difficult. Mm-hmm. And when he talks about enemies, yeah, people who hate you, but people who are just different than you, people who think different than you. And that's what I don't see a lot in the church or from folks in the church, not so much the church, is that we're called to love people who are just different and think different. And and I think that's important because we're never going to live in this perfect world. We're always going always to live in a world where we're divided. Jesus talks about division. Um and he talks about how he brings division, you know? Mm-hmm. So the gospel does bring some division, but the division is not that we don't love people. It's the division is that we're, we're just going to think differently because of the gospel, because we follow Jesus. All right. We're going to take a break. 150 shows, man. Is this 151? This is 150. This is 150. This officially. is 150. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org.
Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you in studio. Producer Chad, Deacon Adam, Paul George. Thanks for listening in on the podcast. Feel free to share the podcast. Google Play, iTunes, wherever the case. There's a lot of things this year you shouldn't share. Yeah. Like coronavirus and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the podcast you can share. Yeah. You can share yeah, Keep a lot of things. 150 shows. You know, so thanks to our share sponsors. every show. The 150 show challenge <laughs> <laughs> on your Facebook. Who and share every single episode. Been a, a part. We, you know, a lot of our sponsors have been a part since the very beginning. Yeah. Which is kind of cool, you know, that we've been over to journey with, with our sponsors. So that's awesome. And of course, um, to KLFT Radio for, for hosting the show and producing the show. It's been been great. So, you know, uh, years ago, we established a six-pack of questions and we just stayed with it. I don't know mm-hmm. where it came from, but maybe it was because when we were starting the show, we really wanted to drink a six-pack of <laughs> something. I don't know. But it was it was your ingenious invention. You Let's think so? A six-pack we of questions. We probably should think of something else, but in the meantime, it's 150 shows. We're just going to stay with it. Yeah, I point. mean... Yeah. So, what else are you going to do? Let's go right for it. Question. Question number one. Um, so, the year has coming to a close, and we just heard this great news about hibernating bears. We're in Q4. Yeah. Q4. Mm-hmm. Fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. And uh, we were talking about humans hibernating. So, I had a question. If you were required by nature... At the end of every year, towards winter, you know, to gain about a hundred pounds, what would be your go-to foods? God, I would love it to get that done. If I could just <laughs> eat. Oh my gosh! So, so you basically my like my guilty pleasure. I would have pizza and wings surrounding the pizza. That's what I mean. That's wow. What I, yeah, like on the crust, or just like laid out, just all over. Okay, just, just all. I over mean, if you're, pizza. Gonna a, if you're gonna gain, if you're gonna, if you're gonna gain a hundred pounds, yeah, and you got two months to do it. Yeah, I mean, you need that's cal- a lot of weight in calories. a short amount of time. Yeah, you need like a lots of calories. Pizza and wings, that's cool. A lot so, of not doing much. I was reading when Michael Phelps was doing the Olympics. You know, he he he's won the most gold medals ever in history. When he was training, you know, you look at his body, and he he's obviously shredded you know, Olympic swimmer, you know, very built. But because he was burning so many calories, he was burning like 15,000 calories a day. Goodness. Okay, so like the average person, you know, is like two to three maybe, you Mm -hmm. know, and if you exercise, you know, a little bit more, 15,000. So the fish and chicken he was eating wasn't like enough. So they would have to feed him whole pizzas so that he could just like maintain his weight. That would be a dream. That would be a dream. Just a whole pizza down just, the hatch. Yeah. <laughs> but it wouldn't have any effect. It right. Ha- yeah, it wouldn't have any effect. I had a friend who's, who, had, who had did a hardcore diet and lost a lot of weight, but his guilty pleasure was a whole pizza on a Saturday, and that's all he ate for that Saturday. Mm. Just one whole pizza. It's wonderful. There you go. So question two. Paul, who are you voting for? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Spinach. I'd, Vote Should I spinach. put spinach on that pizza? You get some fuel. No, man. Put like Twinkies on it. Twinkies. You got to gain 100 pounds in two months. You got to make it serious. Get that spinach on it. I know, dude. A lot of cheeses. I'm voting for, Je- uh, for Jesus. Yeah, voting um, for Jesus. And, and what he wants. But I did see a sign. I was running in the yard yesterday. So I'm just going to take that question. That's question number two. Okay. <laughs> and it said, um, it really, it was in my neighborhood. It was a, it was a, political sign in someone's yard so i was running and i I was like i don't recognize that sign like it's not one of the you know main candidates 
I get closer to it and it says dogs 2020 and the tagline was said because humans suck (laughs) 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 in the front yard I was like that is that is about where a lot of people are right now is they're just so like you know if you had to write in a candidate who would it be it's like it's like the just the political chaos and firestorm and people are just mean and I think people are just tired of people being mean Mm-hmm. You know, and we can think differently, but not be me, you know. So anyway, dogs 2020. <laughs> so you're voting. What kind of dog are you voting for? Um, a Labradoodle. Nice. A Labradoodle. <laughs> Man. Yes. You knew that immediately. I just, <laughs> just made it up. <laughs> Plenty of energy and they don't shed. So yeah, I love it. All right. Question number three. So St. Ignatius of Antioch was eaten by lions. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just, it was a gruesome way to die, but he wanted that kind of death um so my question for you have you have you ever thought about being a martyr before and what would be the most possible way or probable way you would be martyred you know so i used to travel so much i always thought i was going to die on a plane it's horrible like i would have fears of flying but i flew like every week so like i i was just always battling my mind there and i always thought that would be a horrible way to die in a sense of like, you know, for the faith, you know, it's mm-hmm. like you died on a plane. But the uh, that would be my fear. But like if I had to like choose a death, you know, like a firing squad or, you know, a bear, um, I don't know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a firing squad. Yeah, that's a good choice, I think. Yeah, no, it doesn't hold anybody culpable either. You know, nobody really knows who, who, did, the, who did the deed. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Question four. Back to serious questions, maybe. <laughs> um, I, I think that politics can sometimes rule the household, you know, like it's a thing that somebody just thinks about all the time. Do you have any like suggestions or recommendations on maybe limits or like how much? Because it's something that we have to think about. Sure. And we have to make a decision on. Do you have any like what's a healthy boundary maybe on how much we should consider politics or think about it? Yeah, I mean, I think you should get your facts and then get out, you know, because I think there's just, it's a firestorm out there. You know, as my kids have gotten older, you know, so two of my kids can vote now. And, you know, we have some good conversations. And, you know, I, I ask them, like, listen to both sides so you learn the whole picture. And and then, you know, allow your faith to form your conscience and how you vote. Like, we have some really good conversations. But there are times where I'm like, okay, you know, you got to get out of the firestorm, get off Twitter, get off of internet, you know, turn off the news. It's just, you know, it's getting bad, you know, and just learning that and and then going, you know, I would say this to everyone is like in the midst of everything, in the midst of all this, always go back to prayer. Allow Jesus to be the one speaking to your heart, not the news station. Allow Jesus to be the one speaking to your mind, not the news station. Allow God to be leading you, not the news station. Like, when we follow God first, we're not going to have to worry so much about all the things that are, like, zooming by us, right? Good to be formed. Good to know what's going on. Yes, we should vote. But follow God first. I think that's the most important thing we need to remember. Question number five. So in your past of traveling throughout America and going to different places, different churches, different venues, um, how much does the political spectrum of the place you're going influence the way you're going to present the gospel? Maybe not changing it, but just 
is that something you think about or have thought about or take into account of the people sitting in the pews and what they might view on this or that issue? And how, how does that factor in? Zero. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, when I read the Gospels, Jesus wasn't political. He, he wasn't a political figure. That wasn't his, that wasn't why he came. Maybe the Jewish people thought he should be that, but he wasn't. It was all about following the Father. And that's the gospel. It's, you know, following Jesus. And sometimes that's hard. And it's less of a political thing and more of like moral dilemma that we face. It's more like giving up our past and our sin and some things that we're holding on to. And people get frustrated about that or angry at me. I don't know. You know, what's great about preaching is that it's like, ah, Jesus said this. I didn't make it up. You know, (laughs) deal with him on this, right? And here's the thing is I've traveled all around the country. I've been, you know, I... You know, I don't know if I've been to every diocese in the country, but here's the one thing that the church overall, when it feels inconsistent, here's the one thing that the church is very consistent about, is that uh, it's very consistent no matter where you go in the country about its teaching on life and abortion and the elderly and the dying. Like, it's across the board. Like, no one's, you know, arguing that issue. Like, that is, you know, the way we treat people, the dignity of the human person, from a baby in the womb to a baby born to a person who's sick to a person who's dying to a person who's elderly, there there should never be a question that that person has dignity, deserves life, and deserves to be treated as such. And that's been kind of cool, really cool. Mm-hmm. We argue on a bunch of other things, but that's not one. Mm, that's awesome. Um, question six, I'm trying to think what I should ask. In the middle, and I'm going to talk a little bit. Spinach smoothies is what I want to ask you, because who would put (laughs) spinach in a smoothie? It seems like if you're going to drink a smoothie, it seems like more like a like a dessert drink. I just feel bad about eating something that like a brachiosaurus would love to eat as well. You know, I just I want to feel like yeah, you know, just I don't want to eat anything that I can't chew. Spinach is like my preferred leafy green. Like to eat Mm -hmm. something that you drink, right? Like a smoothie, like Mm. it's a. It's a caloric, you know, meal, but you're drinking it. You know, like it, it could be a meal replacement, okay? But you're drinking it. I'd, ra- I'd rather save my calories to chew on something. <laughs> right? Like, Well, a, I think smoothies are like my Friday go-to when I can't have meat. You know what I mean? Oh, but you can put spinach in your smoothie. Well, it's just good for you. You don't taste the spinach. You get the it's protein like, in yeah, there. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the power. The iron. Yeah. You know what I mean? Got you. You can also put scoops of peanut butter in a smoothie. Mm-hmm. Have you ever uh, encountered a bear? Speaking of, uh, is that omnivores? question number six? I've seen a black bear. <laughs> I was thinking it earlier. Which actually, if people don't know this, here in Louisiana, we do have a black bear population, um, and you know, black bears are typically nicer, smaller. The favorable bear. To the favorable encounter. bear. If you're going to encounter, they will destroy your trash cans. By the way. Oh yeah. Um, so I've seen a black bear camping, but I'm not afraid of a black bear. Um, Never seen a grizzly bear. I don't want to. Don't need to. I don't. Um, will not try to. You hear horror stories. Mm-hmm. Somebody was telling me that you know, from the time that you see a grizzly bear to t- attacks you, you have three seconds. Which is why, if somebody even has like a pistol or a gun, like they don't even have time to like draw the gun and shoot. Like before they know it, that bear is like slapped their face and they're mm-hmm. just on the ground. Yeah, that's why when when I went to Glacier National Park in Montana, we had to carry bear spray on us. The whole time. Not hairspray. Bear not spray. hairspray. Bear spray. I think somebody made some money off you on that. Oh, yeah. They did. Well, it's never... just like hairspray. He changed the label. And now it says bear spray. 
<laughs> a lot of people made a lot of money off it because it is not cheap. In case you were wondering, it's like 40 bucks a, a can and you both have to have it. Yeah. And there's no way to know if it actually works. It's it's well, basically yeah, spinach hope, in a can. You literally you, I mean, you hope never to use it, and then you break the thing so you can't return it. It's a big mess. Right, because you don't want to be like cracking the seal as the bear is attacking you. Like, wait. <laughs> right. <laughs> hold, 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 on. On. hold on. I bought this spray. This has got to be a fair fight. <laughs> Give me a chance, man. Did you see the video? They had a video of a guy that was being attacked by a cougar. But he wasn't being attacked. He was being like Mauled. stalked yeah. by a cougar. It was wild. He yeah. it, it like just chased after him, but it never attacked him. That's going to awesome. be next show, show 151. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for it listening. It only gets better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This has been a very interesting show. We're always making it entertaining. So thanks to all the listeners and podcasts on radio. Uh, it's been great to be a part of, um, you know, this show and for 150 episodes. So enjoy it, share it, and uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, Adam and Chad. God bless you guys.